everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, we are going to be discussing diversity in UX, what it means, and how to get there. And our guests today are Tracy, Stefan, Itan, and Sophia. And I'm going to now ask them to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about who they are and what diversity means to them. So Aitan, can you start us off and tell us a bit about yourself and just what diversity means to you in this space? Sure, hi everybody, I'm Aitan. Uh, I'm original from Azerbaijan, but I live in Sweden, Gothenburg currently. Uh, so I have a background in psychology and qualitative research and I've been here and there. I worked in Denmark, Sweden, Lithuania, and now I'm back to Sweden again. Uh, so yeah, coming from a different cultural and geographical background, obviously diversity is important for me. And I don't know, it's a pretty general word to say, but I guess when I take into consideration my work as a researcher, uh, diversity for me in my work is to listen to as many voices as possible and communicating those voices to uh, people. Amazing. Thank you, Aitan. Sophia, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Sophia Ryan. I have over 15 years of experience from the field of design and have had many different roles over the years, ranging from being a, an academic researcher to working as a hands-on practitioner as a UX designer and service designer. And for the last few years, I've had different design leadership positions with within very small companies, startups, or but also larger global corporations. And right now I'm the director for design strategy in Microsoft. My team works with designing for AI-driven experiences across the M365 product ecosystem. And I myself am based in Oslo, Norway, but my team is distributed across several continents, Europe, North America, Africa, and Asia. So we are for sure a very diverse team. For me personally, diversity is about anything that under some specific contextual circumstances can make you feel that you're treated differently or as if you are vulnerable in any way. And it can be because of age, gender, ethnicity, religion, your physical abilities, your sexual orientation, but also education. I mean, in the design community, there are so many different paths that has led us to becoming designers. And we have so many different avenues and backgrounds within design. Amazing. Thank you, Sophia. Stefan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what diversity means to you? Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Stefan. Uh, I'm based in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, originally from Serbia, but I came to Sweden uh, when I was nine years old. So. I definitely have the feeling that I'm Swedish, but uh, then I also have the the other side of the coin, uh, my Serbian side. Uh, I, have, I have 10 years of experience. I worked across a lot of different countries, Singapore, Sweden, uh, Norway, uh, yeah, a lot of different places, met a lot of people. And um, I would say diversity to me is strength uh, because in um, in design and in life, when you have a diverse team or a diverse way of looking at a problem, I think that you can tackle you can tackle that problem in many different ways, and that gives you tremendous strength um, to to handle things in the in the best way possible. 
Amazing. Thank you, Stefan. And Tracy, last but not least, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what does diversity mean to you? Of course, I'm Tracy, uh, originally from China. Also lived in different uh, countries and cities like in Hong Kong and Stockholm. Now I work as a product design lead uh, in Berlin. I think it's so interesting because we all follow different tracks, but it all leads us to this point here. And it exactly sets what I think about diversity. It's actually given by the world to us. And what we need to do is trying our best to acknowledge, understand, and have a representative of what it actually came as nature. And if we think about it, like Sophia said, like every person is born differently, have different background encounters, maybe a different life situation, have different life goal already. So I think it's more about my mindset and perspective to be able to see it and value it. Thank you, Tracy. That was really beautiful. I think um, a question that kind of leads of the, the questions we have pre-prepared um, that I know you guys have, have had a chance to have a little look at, um, the one that sort of really shouts to me listening to all of your sort of introductions is about the exposure to different cultures. Quite a few people here. In fact, all of you, is that right? Yeah, all of you have experience of living in different cultures, moving between different cultures, working with different cultures. So how does exposure to those different cultures, including your own cultural background, impact your empathy as UX designers, as UX researchers, as product designers? And do you think it makes you better at considering the full spectrum of users, especially, I suppose, when you're working with products that are going to be internationally launched? I thought about a little story um, uh, that is, that is, I discussed with my colleague yesterday, we were looking at a kid's book because we were trying to learn German uh, by reading that kid's book. And then nice. we realized that we find very di different things in that illustration of the book. And one of the illustration there was the kitchen of that family of the story that was being told. Mm. And I was like, that's not my kitchen. That's not my kitchen in my childhood. Just the flour on the table. We don't have flour at home when I grew up. <laughs> we don't even have oven. Like, we don't bake bread there. That's not like come by default. That looks very foreign to me. And I think diversity definitely helps and is a shortcut for us to be able to understand and broaden the perspective that's more than our own because we're all biased to some extent, and having a very diverse group and working with a very diverse um, group and being exposed to them help us mm -hmm. go beyond that. And then on another side, even though we might be working for a very specific group of customer, being exposed to those diverse um, phenomenon also helps us with innovation. In the end, all of the basic human needs are the same. We, we need food, we need love, we need a lot of things that are very, very common. But how did it got reflected in so many different ways, in different culture, in different situations? And how can we draw analogy from those to help yeah. us innovate and go beyond what we are used to solving the problem? So I think from these two sides, I really see that exposure being very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I love that you were learning German as well. You've like come on a diversity podcast and you were like, oh yeah, when I was learning a whole new language just yesterday. <laughs> That's really funny. And Aitan, how do you feel about that? Because you have come from kind of like from your, your childhood, you've come from a very different culture. Um, you know, it's 
it's a different continent altogether, right? And um, I imagine that that has impacted the way that you think about the psychology that you studied and the user research that you now do. Um, I imagine that that has actually impacted you quite a bit. What do you What do you think? Yeah, for me, it was a completely different uh, culture when I actually moved to Sweden for the first time. Because, yeah, when I was home, I used to travel all the time. Yes, but when you're a tourist and you're traveling, how often do you, like, stop and reflect, oh, this is a different culture or, like, oh, people behave differently here. You don't, you're just a tourist, right? Unless you, like, your intention for the travel is specifically that thing. But when I moved to Sweden for studying, I remember our class was super diverse. Like, we had people from all over the world. And I'm pretty sure for those of you who studied in Sweden, you know, group projects are a big thing here. It, it is it is amazing how much Swedes like them. So in my <laughs> first group project, I was paired up with one girl from Brazil. There was one guy from China. There was one Danish guy. There was one girl from Portugal. And oh my gosh, that was one hell of a group project because I realized everybody brought their background, obviously, to the project. And everybody had a different way of uh, working efficiently. Like efficiency meant completely different thing for both of them, for all of us. And uh, some of us was like very punctual on time. And some of us were like, you know, like taking their times and some of us was very vocal in the way they were speaking. They liked speaking their minds. And some of us were like, I'm going to listen. And in the end, I'm going to make it. And this was a completely new thing for me. And I realized how much difficult it is working from people with completely different cultures. And that's something I never experienced because back home, all my classmates was from Azerbaijan. When I worked, all the employees was from Azerbaijan. That's when it, yeah. it was like, you know, kind of light bulb lit in my brain and I was like oh my gosh this is so difficult and it's not like they teach these kind of things to you at school they just pair you up with a bunch of people and they're like go work yeah. and that's when I was like mm, this is an interesting thing I want to dig deeper into it and actually so we have to write a course report like a teamwork report at the end of the age class and my whole like maybe I dedicated five pages into like how difficult it is to work with people from different backgrounds because I struggled a lot. And sometimes I joke about it. And I was like, when I came to Sweden, I made a lot of friends out of my classmates. But after one group project, we all became enemies because it was just a lot of clash. But that's when I was like, okay, this is something to consider. And that's when I started to like reading more literature about it. And then I paid attention. Now that I think even job interviewing process, something that's as simple as and as standard as job interviewing is so difficult, like back home and in Sweden and in Denmark. And I remember my job interview process in Lithuania. It's like attitude <clears throat> and what's considered good, what's considered bad. It's completely different. Like one small example, in Sweden, it's very... Um, it's very appreciated if you contact to HRs or whoever interviewed you after the interview, it's considered, oh, you're so passionate about the job. For example, back home, it's like, oh, why are you bothering me? Just sit and wait for my answer, you know? <laughs> it's just, yeah. So it's a lot of different little things right before I started my career in UX research. And mm-hmm. then it's just kept going on and on and on. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, I suppose. I mean, um, 
one of the one of the other questions that we have was actually about how we measure diversity and Tracy I think it was you who came up with this question can you kind of just elaborate on it before I go where I was going and steal your thunder (laughs) (laughs) yes of course I often reflect on that because I feel the biggest number that we always talk about when we talk about diversity as in what we build uh, as a workspace are very limited into the representative like how much do we have as representative by different gender, by different culture, by different education background, age, and anything. But diversity is actually so much broader than that, I would say. And if we put our UX head over it uh, and think about it from the customer, meaning that how do the people that we encounter in a workspace feel and what is their user journey we actually can get so much more um, out of it and we can cover many different aspects that's more than diversity like diversity is tied together with equity inclusiveness and everything around for example that those touch points that we can do beyond our workspace but actually have an influence with our workspace what do we do as a business or as a community that we input into education for different people what do we offer as a training opportunity? How do we close the information gap for different people? How do we do when we reach out for sourcing? How do we experience and evaluate the candidate experience in terms of hiring process? How do we do in terms of compensation? What do we do mm. to onboard them and move another person from another country when relocating, maybe? And how do we make them feel included from a day-to-day work environment-wise? And did we offer enough opportunity for their future growth and recognition? And mm. also, did we have enough commitment of supporting everyone to give back to this community? So it comes with a very, very wide landscape to my understanding, but usually sometimes we had only so much attention to focus on the biggest number that is the most obvious to us, which is representative. Mm. And it is still important. I just feel that if we look wider, we will find a lot more opportunities that we can identify the right action and do more about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. I think um, just to kind of clarify what, what connected the dots in my head there is that Aitan, you were saying how you know, even when you go to the job interview process, like the way that people expect you to behave is different. And, you know, I suppose when we think about diversity and, for example, maybe including uh, team members from from cultures or from countries where maybe less designers tend to come from those places, then there are some more complex obstacles like what you have just been talking about with the interview process that we don't even necessarily think of straight away. You know, there's the the obvious kind of geographical barrier. There's perhaps the fact that, you know, I mean, for example, in Stockholm, you have Hyper Island. I mean, here in England, we've got loads of famous arts universities in London that are now all teaching UX. But actually, there are some countries where obviously they don't have the, the university infrastructure and the education infrastructure. But those are some of the more obvious barriers. But exactly like you say, there are some kind of less obvious barriers as well, like the the cultural difference of interview process. Like, are you going to put somebody off by asking them too many questions when they're expecting you to just, as you say, just sit and wait, because that's the way that it's done in that country. And yeah, I suppose, how can we, 
how can we consciously sort of like focus on closing those more minute gaps and kind of like focusing on those like more complex details because actually yeah you're completely right Tracy a lot of the time we do focus on the bigger number and the bigger picture don't we but ITAN's right there are some kind of like more minute complex things there that are actually kind of like lesser seen barriers right ITAN yeah, do you have a comment on that Sorry. yeah it's just one, one tiny comment that when you mentioned the big picture stuff like I 100% mm-hmm. agree one of my professors at school always used to mention that people always say the biggest enemy to diversity is ignorance, but people always mm. forget about generalization. Because even if we're talking about, for example, cultural diversity or geographical diversity, people tend to generalize countries, for example, all the Swedes, all the Danes, or all the blah, blah, blah. Like, but mm. I remember I was doing research when I was still at school in one of the rural parts of Sweden. It was a very, very small village. And I went there with the mindset, oh, it's Sweden. You know, everybody speaks English, for example, in, because I learned everybody spoke English. Stockholm, everybody speaks English. Malmo, everybody speaks English, right? And I went there mm. with the mindset, I swear to God, not even one person I approached spoke English. And then I was like, oh, I generalized the whole country thinking, okay, if people from bigger cities behave in a certain way, people from smaller towns also is going to feel and behave in a certain way. So mm. I think we make a lot of mistakes when we generalize a certain group of people thinking, oh, okay, they're going to behave or feel the same way. But I think that like the biggest step we can take towards diversity is to realize just every single individual is different, regardless of mm. what social group they belong to. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Sophia, did you have a comment to make about that? Yeah, it's actually more along the lines Tracy was talking about, because Tracy raised some very valuable points around that it's so easy for us to measure how many people do we have from different groups, Mm -hmm. underrepresented groups, and it's an easy number to get lost on. But I want to share a personal story. Unfortunately, it's a true story. I would say. So very early on in my career, when I was much younger and didn't really know how to handle a situation like this, uh, I was just the first week into a new job. And a man said in a group setting with other people around, he said to me, well, you tick off all the diversity requirements. You're young. You're a female. You have a terrible. You have a different ethnic origin. If you only had a physical disability, you would be the full package. Oh my gosh. And wow. We would, and we would have hit all our diversity goals. And wow. you know, it's so easy to, I mean, this is so extreme. So it's easy to laugh of it. And it's also mm. easy to say clearly, this person doesn't know how to behave in a modern workplace. But his comment really reflects something a lot of people with different backgrounds to feel often mm. that there's always this notion hanging in the air that you got this job because you're a woman or you have a different origin and we needed to have that candidate in the mix mm. and that's why you got selected and throughout my career I've always felt the burden of having to perform as as much as possible deliver double to fight this bias so <laughs> Do you really want to feel that you got the job because you had the wrong gender or the wrong mm-hmm. background? Or do we really want to just be recognized for what we can bring to the table? 
And yeah. that's something I think we need to think much more about than just the numbers. So thank you so much for raising raising that questions and those reflections, Tracy. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us, Sophia. That's a very that's a very personal story, and I think you're right. It does say a lot about something that I think, unfortunately, quite a few people do kind of secretly hold that that idea in the back of their head, right? That they just need to tick those boxes. Stefan, did you have a comment about that? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to piggyback on that, uh, how companies measure diversity. Uh, mm. I think it's very simple. To, it's a simple measuring tool to say, oh, we have X amount of nationalities or we have X amount of this and that um, mm. because it's easy to put on a PowerPoint and show everyone. Yes. Um, uh, because like I, I have a story. I have two... Uh, Two very close friends and their two brothers, uh, like two years apart from uh, mm-hmm. from the same place, um, same upbringing, played the same sports, but they're two completely different people. The way they think, the way they act, the way they do things, um, yeah. and uh, I think diversity is not only where people come from; it's a, a lot of different things, uh, age, age gaps, uh, people that are older or younger. Um, also like where you, you, also, of course, where you come from, but also what kind of upbringing you had, uh, a lot of different things, um, impact your personality and Mm -hmm. you can, you can see that when you talk to users in different projects, especially if it's like a wide audience, then you can definitely see, uh, how people, people interpret different texts. Uh, what they read and uh, for example for us it it might be a very simple and straightforward text but for them they can interpret that very simple text for us in many different ways and Mm. that comes down to diversity also Uh, education age uh, how used how used they are to using um, technology a lot of different things yeah yeah definitely thank you for that Stefan I mean you guys have all had some kind of very personal experiences, especially earlier in your careers about kind of, you know, ticking those diversity boxes and sort of having that, that really firsthand, you know, very personal experience of this like very real problem that we have. And Sophia, you raised a extremely good and powerful question when we spoke yesterday um, about kind of the the importance of diversity and where we're sort of going with it. Can you kind of um, elaborate on what it was that you said to me yesterday. Yeah, sure. So I will I sometimes wonder, you know, in our day and age, there's really no company who says we don't want diversity. All leaders, all companies are saying diversity is extremely important. But still, we are not really hitting the targets. So what is holding us back? And and you, you, you when I raised the question, Hannah, you said, well, what do you think, Sophia? And I have a friend who does a leadership recruitment. And he told me that, you know, whenever he gets a new client, it's so often that they come and say, we really need more women on the leadership um, level. So try to find a woman. And he will do, he'll go above and beyond to find really strong female candidates. But he says that in the end, they always pick a man. And then he challenged them and said, well, you wanted a woman and she's super good. So what's the problem here? It will always be something along the lines, even if it's not said directly that, oh, but this other person is more similar to us. 
and it's human mm. nature. We're, we're attracted to people who feel safe and similar, who give this kind of notion of resemblance. It can be the way they dress, the gender, the hobbies they have, the way of speaking, the way of forming uh, uh, a debate, an argument. It just feels safe and secure. And so how then to be different? It sometimes can feel like a risky different to be a risky business to be different. But I also really like what Stefan said earlier on, that having diversity in your background is a superpower and you just need to find out how to leverage that power. Yeah, I love that. Stefan, did you have something to elaborate on that there? Uh, yeah, uh, we started talking about how can we get more diverse? And mm. that's a very interesting question because, as Sophia said, I, I have never met any company that didn't say, oh, we of course we want more diversity and things like that. And oh, we're looking yeah. for the candidate with this, this, this and that and so on and so forth. But they usually pick the candidate um, where and like, I, to be honest, like you can feel that in the interview when you talk to people. Like mm. we have, we, we understand each other and you can feel it, even if they don't say like, oh, we understand mm. each other. You can definitely feel that in your conversation that we have the, for example, I have a background in sports. So if I have somebody that has a background in sports, um, of course we will get along a little bit better. It doesn't mean that mm. I will maybe get the job because it's a lot of different things that go into that, but uh, it definitely helps the conversation out. And um, and then how to solve that problem? I think that's a very interesting question. Um, to be honest, uh, for example, uh, if let's say hypothetically, if all companies went fully remote, I think it would be a lot easier to bring in candidates from different backgrounds. Because mm. of course, let's say if it's a Swedish company and they say, oh, we work in a hybrid model, um, then they usually, want people of course that live pretty close so they can come into the office mm. and uh, let's say you're in stockholm of course the diversity is quite big uh but still uh, it's mostly people with the swedish background maybe not swedish only swedish people but swedish people but people that that kind of grew up in sweden speak swedish mm. things like that so like the a lot of the diversity falls out the window when you when you say oh we want this 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 that yeah. So, and for a lot of jobs, I think you need to, in Sweden at least, you need to know Swedish. And if you don't know mm -hmm. Swedish uh, good enough, then I think that's obstacle, definitely, because corporate Swedish yeah. and just knowing Swedish, that's two different things. Okay. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point there. Do you think, um, how much of a disadvantage do you guys feel that a candidate is at if they don't speak? as you say, corporate Swedish, if they just speak kind of like a little bit of casual Swedish? I, maybe I can answer that uh, quickly. I would say it depends on the company. If you work for yeah. a state-driven company, then mm. uh, they definitely would like you to speak Swedish. Uh, of yeah. course, there are some reasons around that uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to administration and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but there are a lot of companies that don't require that. But I mm. think that it's... Uh, it's a nice to have, to be honest. Yeah. I yeah. have a feeling about that. It's a nice to have. It's not super important, but it's nice to have. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think it does a lot of the time come down to, as you've both already said, that kind of like relatability and just sort of like having 
just one more thing in common with the person that's hiring you or the person that's interviewing you, right? Is if they speak Swedish and you speak Swedish, you know, you've got one more, one more touch point there, right? Tracy, how do you feel about that? I think that uh, someone's language is really, really interesting. And it also reminds mm. me of the other side. Like we all have the luxury of being able to speak English, to be honest. That's, that's not like a given for, for mm. us. And sometimes it's very hard also to have candidates or I don't know, it feels like we're stuck. Like, how do we how do we bring in candidates that didn't have the resources to even study and mm. learn English? I have lots of friends that lived in China, mm. but I can't offer them a job or I can't encourage them to, hey, come move abroad to somewhere that you don't understand anything about. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure you'll find a job there. Um, it's super challenging and I don't I don't have a solution here but it's super interesting um balance and obstacles that we are we're encountering there of knowing what is different and being able to utilize that difference rather than being stuck by it um so yeah. i think it's a very interesting topic yeah definitely i suppose it it comes back around full circle to your earlier question of not sort of focusing on just that big number because there are some sort of very systemic, much deeper problems, such as accessibility to being educated on those sorts of skills in the first place, right? And some people, like you've just said, just don't have don't have the opportunity to do that, you know? And how can we kind of provide those opportunities? How can we kind of get those sorts of people um, into the industry or at least give them the chance to get into the industry? Sophia, what do you what do you think on this? Yeah, I want to also expand on the debate debate because, um, again, going back to something Tracy raised earlier on, when mm. we recruit, we might make progress. And, of course, hiring people with different backgrounds is the first step. But in a yeah. lot of companies now, we're seeing that, yes, people get hired, but they don't advance in their career. Mm. Uh, so what type of opportunities are people given after they sign their contract? What type of support is there? Who gets the lucrative projects? Who gets the forgiveness when something goes wrong? Who gets to mm. be in the limelight with all the kind of attractive assignments? All of these things play into diversity and inclusion. And rather mm. than asking people or companies, how many people do you have from underrepresented groups? If you rather ask, how do people feel that they, do they really feel, employees feel, that they are included and respected and given fair treatment. That's that's a much more interesting and broader uh, broader debate to have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is there any way that you can think of or any experience you've ever had in a bigger company where you feel like that's something that could be measured in some way? So Microsoft measures it and asks mm. that uh, question specifically, which I think is very very good because it's yeah. kind of one step towards that awareness. Mm. Um, but there are so many levels and facets to this. So this is an ongoing process for any company. And and it's just, it's really great that companies are becoming more aware of this. But I also think mm. it's, 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 it's a responsibility that's not just at company or leadership level. It's a responsibility that everyone has to keep on raising and focusing on. Because yeah. it doesn't get sold by itself. Yeah. It's, 
when we talk about the domain of design, we often say that, you know, if we bring in diverse uh, people with different backgrounds, we will have much bigger ranges of ideas, we will have much more innovation, and we will understand our users better because often we work in companies who want to provide global solutions. Mm. But there's a small cap there because in any group, no matter how different you are from, from the start, when you put people in a group, over time we become more similar. We mm. lean towards conformity. And it is actually good for team structure, right? This is how we reach alignment. This is how we kind of make progress and things get faster. But the more mm. similar we become, there's also a cap there. And that's why user research is always so important. We might think that we even represent the users because we are just straight in that target group ourselves. And we take for granted that users will be like ourselves. But how often do we recruit users, not just because who's easily accessible to us? Mm. Uh, so then saying, okay, who do we really need to have in the mix to make sure that we understand people with different physical abilities, people with different cultures, who might even perceive technology very differently? And then when working with AI solutions, this question has, this aspect has been raised so many times that if if we don't have wide data sets, we're actually training our algorithms for bias. So just by being diverse ourselves doesn't mean that the products we create are necessarily catering to inclusion. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that you make as well about, you know, if you, you can take a bunch of diverse people and when you put people together, they do just naturally kind of conform and become more similar the more time they spend together. And it's, you know, it's a great and beautiful thing about the human brain, isn't it? But at the same time, when you're looking for that diversity, as you say, it's a, a bit of a self-made trap. Stefan, what do you what do you think about this? Uh, no, I like the thing you said, Sophia, about uh, people becoming very similar uh, when they work together for a long time. Mm. Uh, for example, I worked in, um, in some companies where you can meet people that have been there for 20 years and you can basically close your eyes and you have the same conversation with with and the people will say the same things in in the same way actually um so that's a very interesting point and also i think a lot of companies especially international companies uh they put a lot of emphasis on values and core values uh, and i think that also kind of creates a way of um like a specific way of how you handle things and how you should handle things like how you speak in a in a in a forum, how you present things, uh, what are topics that you can discuss, uh, and topics that you might stay away from, uh, things like that. And I think also that is a very interesting um, conversation when it comes to diversity, just because uh, when you try to put people in boxes or and say, oh, oh, we in this company we talk about this, or we look like this, or we dress like this, or we act like this, then I think. If people that are not ready to form and be like everybody else, I think they will not mm. uh, stay in the company for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah, that is a really good point. That's so true. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm conscious that we are maybe coming a little bit close on time, but I wanted to ask each one of you what one thing you would like to see in within the design industry um, kind of improving it could be anything from kind of a broader topic to 
a policy that you think would be really, really good to implement by by various leaders. Um, but something something positive that our listeners can kind of think about and take away that they could maybe actually start to slowly implement in the way that they work in the hiring process, in the onboarding process. And as you rightly said, in kind of the progression within the company as well, because it's not just about who we bring in, it's about the opportunities that we give them along the way as well. Stefan, do you want to start us off there? Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I can I can start us off. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I would say um, bringing, if all the companies could go fully remote as under mm. COVID, I think that will definitely close the barrier of um, people maybe not living in, in somewhere in Europe or somewhere in the States, things mm. like that. Uh, of course, that will bring some other difficulties. Um, but I, I think the the positive things outweigh the negative things in in this. Uh, at least have that option. And um, I would say also, companies always talk about oh, real like be yourself. But when you're when you are yourself and you do something maybe that other people frown upon, then I don't know. You should not be punished because of that that just mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you're a bad bad worker or that you're bad at your job it just means that you see things differently and i think that companies need to have, keep open mind about that uh, mm. everything from meeting cultures to the way we speak the way we present things the way we work um, i think diversity impacts basically everything on every level to be honest when it comes to human interaction yeah Thank you for that. Itan, do you have any any ideas on something you would like to see improve about the industry? Yeah, for me, the recruitment process for myself was very struggling because especially mm. I was trying to find a work in EU and I'm from outside of EU. And you mm. cannot imagine how many companies that I interviewed that after five, six uh, different steps of interviewing, they were like, oh, we really like you, you're good, we want to hire you, but we don't want to go through all this bureaucracy of getting a visa for you and bringing you mm. here and so on. Uh, so that's a huge, huge thing for people outside of EU because even though they have the qualifications and they meet the eligibility criteria, but in mm. the end, the majority of companies want to go in an easy way and just hire somebody within the country or at least within EU because it's easier. Mm. Uh, so that was a huge, and in some countries, it's even a, like, I believe in law, it's a rule because I remember I was interviewing, for example, some companies in the Netherlands and they straight mm. up told me that, oh, we are required by law interview Dutch people first. And if we cannot find oh. anybody meeting the requirements, then we're allowed to interview people outside of that Netherlands, for example. So I would mm -hmm. really, I think it would make a huge, huge impact for people all around the world if they made us all this visa, I don't know, work permit, recruitment process, much more easier for people who don't really have an EU passport or for people in the States, for example, who don't have US passports and so on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that's more on a political front, but it has a massive effect yeah. on, on what companies can do. Thank you for sharing that with us. Stefan, did you have uh, something to share about that kind of experience? 
Uh, yeah, uh, I just got thinking about the situation when a coworker asked me, like, if you could go fully remote. This I worked as and in a Swedish company, and they asked me if you could mm. go fully remote, would you still be living in Sweden or would you go somewhere mm. else? And that's a very interesting question because, mm. uh, like, for example, Aitan, would would you like to live in Sweden if you could go fully remote and work from your own country? uh mm. it's a very maybe you maybe you would uh but i'm just saying like it's a very very interesting topic um uh, that we can discuss probably for hours uh, <laughs> so it's quite quite interesting for me at least yeah definitely would you would you go fully remote would you stay in sweden no i i would stay in sweden i love sweden yeah <laughs> sophia can you tell us something that you would like to see kind of be implemented or improve about the industry or just an idea that you have of how how can we make things better? Well, I, I hope for any company who wants to be successful to to really hire for ability, right? Rather mm. than, than than background. And yeah. uh, and once you do that, there's something unique that person brings. So make sure that you allow that person to be whoever they are. And create an environment where everyone can raise their opinions and question yeah. stated truths and suggest alternative approaches and solutions. Because otherwise, you did a great hire, but what did you get from that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and last but not least, again, sorry, I'm always leaving you to last, Tracy. How do you feel about this? What What idea do you have to bring to the table that you think you would just love to see some companies implement? I think not just company, I think it's also to myself as well, a note to myself. Mm. Um, I want myself to be more there to be uncomfortable. Like it ties into everything that we have talked about. Um, mm. Do I challenge myself to be uncomfortable to see what are the user problems that are different than my type? Do I dare to challenge myself to work with people that are very different from me? Do I want to challenge myself to go through a community that isn't even my own but want to listen to them do i Mm. I support them even though we're not the same can i support them to be who they are and continue to be different so i think pushing ourselves to be a little bit uncomfortable in some situations can help with our surroundings, even though our end goal in the end is we want everybody to feel comfortable of being who they are. That's beautiful. Ending on a strong life lesson there, Tracy. Thank you. (laughs) I love that. That was really, really nice. Thank you so much, guys, for all your awesome ideas. I really hope that anyone listening to this, especially if they're in that hiring manager position or they're working towards that in their career, they can take something away from this and maybe realize that you know, diversity is often much more complex than we initially realize. It's not just about those big statistics. There are so many layers to it. And, you know, even for those of us who may not be the direct hiring manager, just being open to being uncomfortable, being open to working and communicating in ways that we're not necessarily immediately kind of like naturally drawn to can really go a long way in kind of helping improve the situation. So thank you so much, guys, for discussing this with me today and for all of your really awesome ideas, for sharing your personal experiences and just for being here. It's been really, really nice to, to speak with you guys and to hear your thoughts. You come from such a diverse background. 
I feel super lucky that you've all given me your time to to tell me, you know, all your thoughts and feelings on this. So we'll leave it there for today. And this has been another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank Itan, Stefan, Sophia and Tracy for joining us and providing their insights into this topic. And thank you everyone for listening. If you'd like to get involved in another one of our podcasts, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or you can email me at hannah.holloward at evolutionnordics.com. See you next time. Thank you.